This is Joshua chapter 2, and we'll remain standing again as able. It's a longer passage. This is God's word for us this morning. Let's hear his word. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to close, be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For you have heard, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you have devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God... He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death, If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, According to your words, so be it. Then she sent them to your wor- away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. And they departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, 
Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. This is God's word. Amen. Let's be seated. Well, go ahead and keep your Bibles open as we come to this uh, next in our series in the book of Joshua that we've called the Four Forgotten Truths about God's people from the book of Joshua. Um, Why are we studying the book of Joshua? Uh, We're studying the book of Joshua uh, because it's teaching us these four forgotten truths about God's people. Um, you, You see, we live in a day when... Many people not only have questions about Christianity, but also about the church. Is the church really going to be what it should be? Um, What kind of church is a biblical church? How, How are God's people meant to act in these times of environmental discussion, crisis, confusion, however you want to label it without getting political. How how are we meant to live in these times of political confusion, discussion, debate, crisis, however you want to label it without getting political? How is the church meant to be in the world but not of the world? Uh, D.L. Moody had an interesting illustration about that one time. He said that the the church is meant to be in the world, not of the world, in the same way that a ship is meant to be in the water but not have water inside it, otherwise it will sink. Okay, so that's a good illustration, but how how are we meant to do that? I mean, what does it mean for us to engage culture? We we should be doing that with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should be living for Jesus at work, but how, how do we... So... Four Forgotten Truths About God's People. And we're looking at the book of Joshua because the book of Joshua has a parallel New Testament book, which is the book of Acts. And in, in Joshua, God's leader, Joshua, is calling God's people to go into the land and they're to trust Joshua, follow him, and go into the land. The book of Acts, God's leader, Jesus, Joshua, you see, the Greek for Joshua is Jesus. Jesus sends his disciples into the land, that is, into the world. Go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything that I've commanded you, and surely I'll be with you always until the very end of the age. As God says to Joshua, the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Only meditate on God's word. Don't let the book of the Lord depart from your mouth. Joshua, Jesus, and and. The book of Joshua is telling us these truths about how God's people and and New Testament people, looking back as we, you you see, often people get confused about the Old Testament. You think, the Old Testament's like a history book. You know, if you really want to find out what Christians are meant to do, read the New Testament. But the truth is, the Old Testament, the scriptures of the Old Testament, that was the Christian's Bible in the New Testament. That's, that's where they preach the gospel from, the Old Testament. Joshua, our Jesus, we're to trust Jesus and follow him on mission. 
And it, the, the book of Joshua is written at a particular point in time, I think, where when, um, so soon after Joshua, God's people forgot, so four forgotten truths, God's people forgot um, the faithfulness of God and forgot to be engaged with their mission to live in the land, be in the world, but not of the world, became increasingly like the Canaanites. It says in the book of Judges, right after the book of Joshua, that there arose a generation who did not know the Lord nor what he had done for God's people, and they forgot, they forgot, they forgot. And we we today need to remember the faithfulness of God so that we can be faithful to him and live on, on mission as well. And that's what we saw last week. We're on mission, the first of the four forgotten truths, that God, uh, we can be strong in God because of who God is and the work of his spirit within us. We can be strong. Um, we uh, can be strong in the word of God, not just reading it intellectually, but letting it influence our mind and hearts and dig deep into our attitudes and, our, and, and then affect our actions. And we can be strong because God has promised to be with us. Surely I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God has promised to be with us. Therefore we can be strong. The power for mission, the place of mission, go into the world and make disciples. The power for mission, the Lord your God is with you. And so we looked at how that last week, therefore we should be on mission. Now this week, the second of these four forgotten truths, uh, this week, Uh, I've called it, you have to take a risk. You have to take a risk. Now this story that we read out, we read out the whole thing because it's a story. So there's no, you know, you've got to to hear the story. Uh, You've got to understand it's it's drama and how it fits together. So you've got to hear the whole story. That's why we read out the whole thing. And this story, we're going to interpret it as the New Testament tells us to interpret it. So the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, interprets this story like this. It says, by faith, so this story is about faith, by faith, Rahab the prostitute um, was not destroyed along with the disobedient because uh, she gave a friendly welcome to the spies. So Hebrews is telling us that the story is about faith and there are three characters in the story. There's Rahab, by faith Rahab. Uh, There are the disobedient, that is uh, the people in Jericho who did not trust Joshua, who did not trust Jesus, who, who refused to follow the Lord God of heaven and earth. There's that character in the story, the disobedient. And then there are the spies, those who went on mission into the land. So we're going to look at each of those three characters, Rahab, the disobedient, and the spies, all teaching us what faith is and what faith is not. And it's emphasized here in the story again and again, an element of risk. You have to take a risk. So we're going to look at these Three characters and what they teach us about faith and risk. So it's the, first it's going to be the risk of faith. Then it's going to be the risk of disobedience. And then finally it's going to be the risk of mission. 
Okay, so you're taking notes. That's the structure of the sermon. We're following the, inf- the interpretive grid of the New Testament because this is a book that is pointing us to the great Joshua, that is Jesus, to trust in him, the risk of faith, the risk of disobedience, and uh, the risk of, uh, of mission. So first of all, uh, the risk of, uh, of faith. And uh, this is about Rahab. And uh, Rahab... It's, it's emphasized here frequently that this is, this is a risk. The whole idea that Rahab, Rahab is a hero of faith. It's, it's a risk. It's a risky story. Um, she was a prostitute. Now, some commentators have attempted to say that, well, you know, actually, if you read the text carefully, maybe she wasn't a prostitute. But, but really, there's no way around it. She was a prostitute. Uh, the, the, the New Testament tells us, and, and indeed underlines it by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, uh, that, that, it's an important part of the story that she was a prostitute. And the text in Joshua tells us that she was a prostitute, plus it, it emphasizes it in, in various subtle ways in, in the original, in the Hebrew. So, for instance, when, when the king of Jericho comes to Rahab and tells her, look, I've heard you've got spies in there, these men, let them, let them bring them out to me. The, the language he uses here is almost certainly... Um, Filled with an innuendo, innuendo uh, double meaning, uh, suggestive connotations. He's not, he's not speaking well of her. She's a prostitute. He, he's treating her with some kind of stigma. So in, in um, uh, verse 3, he says, uh, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, who came to your house. For they have come to search out all the land. You know, those guys who came to you and came into your house, actually they came for the land. It's, it's a kind of, it, it, it's, it's risky. She was a prostitute. And, and what is more, she lied. So when the king of Jericho uh, comes uh, to her and says, bring out these guys, she, she, she just lies. She just says, oh, well, they're not here, they've gone. That's not true, they're right back there. She's lying. Now, some people said, and I've actually sat under preachers, well, one particular preacher I remember who said this, and some people said, well, the fact that Rahab is a hero of faith and the fact that she lied shows that in certain situations... It's okay to lie. You know, the, the, the Nazis uh, knock on your door and you have, you're sheltering Jews back there. And so in those instances, it's okay to lie. And this, this is a story that's telling us that, they would, they would argue. But that's, that's misunderstanding how narrative works in the Bible, the Bible will very frequently in the story tell us things that just happened without thereby implying that it approves of the things that happened. So she was a prostitute. It's not approving of her prostitution. 
She lied. That's what happened. It's not approving of her lying. Now, there is a situational ethic conundrum that is thrown up sometimes by that. You know, is it ever appropriate for people to lie? Or I can ever, or I can ever tell you about The Bible's very clear that lying is wrong. And all I can ever tell you, when I've ever been put in a situation whereby it seems like there's no way out, by when I was on the mission field and there were some pretty risky situations we were in, it felt like there was no way out other than by saying something that wasn't true. All I can ever tell you is that when God says in his word, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man, but God is faithful and just and he will provide a way out, has it's been my experience. He does provide a way out. And of course the Lord Jesus is our model. When the Pharisees pinned him on the horn of a dilemma he didn't lie but he found a wise way out and we must trust that the as as Jesus promised with they drag you before a court don't worry beforehand the Holy Spirit will give you the words but she didn't know any better she wasn't a follower of God at that moment she was trying to protect them that was a good thing but she lied in doing it and that was not a good thing It's a risky story that she's a hero of faith. But of course, most risky of all is the risk that she took to trust in Joshua, the great captain of God's people, fulfilled in Jesus, to trust in God. That was a real risk for her. You just have to imagine the situation. There she is in Jericho, surrounded by these people who were sworn enemies of the Israelites. And for her to harbor the enemy in her own house and allow them to escape, what if they had discovered it? It would have been a pretty short trial and an even briefer execution, I think. That's a real risk. And you know, real faith can often feel like risk. I don't mean, you know, you grew up in the church or you went to Sunday school or you, you went to a Christian, Christian school or, or you know the creed. I mean, real faith. She trusting God, committing to him. That can feel like risk. What will they say at home if I really give my life to Jesus? What will my parents say? What will they say at the college if I, if I really commit myself to the Bible and to God's work? What will, what will they say? What will they say at business if I, if I really live for God? If I don't go to that party, would I lose that contract? If I really trust in God and his ways, it could feel like a risk. Why did she do it? She did it because she had discerned something. Again, the text is just so, so amazing this way. It's just brilliant. And it's a, again, it's a little hidden um, in the Hebrew, but it's so clear in the original. So if you uh, look down at uh, verses um, uh, 12 to 14, you, you see what, she, what she, um, she gets. 
So she says, verse 11, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. And then she says, verse 12, she says, you also will deal kindly with my father's um, house. And that word kind is the Hebrew word chesed, which is the special, it's the Hebrew word for the special covenant love of God. And, uh, and, and you deal kindly with my father's house. And then they promise in verse 14, oh, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly, or hesed, this covenant love, and faithfully with you. She's putting her trust in the covenant love of God. It's not really a risk, but it sure can feel like it. The risk of faith. You say, well, I'm not sure I want to take that risk. Well, there is another risk, and that's also here in this passage, and that's the risk of disobedience. And uh, that also is, is, you remember we're looking through the lens of Hebrews chapter 11 where it talks about the disobedient here. And that's, uh, of course, here it's the, the Canaanites and the, those who were in Jericho. And, and uh, their refusal, unlike Rahab, to follow Joshua and the Lord God, their refusal to do so. And, and, and that too is a risk. The risk of disobedience. See, it's not that they didn't know In fact, Rahab tells us, uh, verse 10, for we have heard, they knew, we have heard how the Lord, that's the Yahweh, the special name for God of the Bible, the Yahweh, we've heard how the Lord dried up, the, the covenant name for God, dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. They'd heard of the Exodus. I mean, they, the Israelites have been wandering around for 40 years in the desert. They, they, it, this wasn't done in secret. They knew. And uh, we've heard what you did to the two kings, the Amorites, who are beyond the Jordans, the Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. They'd heard about the power of God. They'd heard. And what's more, that knowledge had an impact on them. Uh, uh, verse 11, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted That word for melted is repeated three times in this story because it indicates God's work in their lives to, that is the, the land that has been given. It had an impact on them. Their hearts melted. They're scared out of their minds. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God, the heavens above and on the earth beneath. They knew. They knew. But oh, it seems so much safer behind those Jericho walls, those impressive and strong Jericho walls. The risk of faith like Rahab, that's a risk. Oh, it's so much safer behind those walls. I think one of the idols of our area 
is safety, comfort, security. You drive home and press a button and the garage door goes up. You drive in and the garage door shuts behind you. Those Jericho walls, they're so safe. No one can get you there. You're secure. You've built up your pension. You've got your bank account. You're safe. Oh, it's, it's much more risky to really trust in God, to, to give my life to Jesus and to mission, to, to give my resources to God's ki- Oh, that's risky. No, I'm going to keep people at a distance. I won't let them in. I'm safe behind these Jericho walls. But you know, you, that is a risk. For Joshua is coming. And those messengers of the gospel that have gone into the city, those preachers of the good news that have gone into the city, those spies, they're going to be followed by the whole army. And they'll go around those Jericho walls in silent witness to the covenant love of God as an offer of the gospel to those inside. But if you stay behind those Jericho walls, there will come a moment when Joshua is coming, the army is coming. When our great captain Jesus will return and those Jericho walls will come tumbling down. The risk of disobedience is destruction. There's no ultimate risk in faith because of the covenant love of God. But if you, if you, if you give your life to that Jericho wall safety, destruction is coming. Don't take that risk. Give your life to Jesus. Follow our captain, the great Joshua, Jesus, our Lord Jesus. Take the risk of faith, not the risk of disobedience. Well, there's a final risk here in this passage, and that's the risk of mission. So you remember looking at Hebrews through the lens of Hebrews 11, by, Rahab, uh, by faith, Rahab the prostitute was delivered from destruction that came upon the disobedient because she gave friendly welcome to the spies. The risk of mission, the spies are on mission. It's a bit like what we looked at last week, but that was the promise of mission with the place of mission, the power for mission, but now they actually are on mission. They're going into the city, they're going into the land, they're on mission like Jesus sent out his disciples to to take the gospel before him. They've been sent out by Joshua to to be spies into this land, that they're on mission. But what a risk, the risk of this mission. I mean, after all, they go and stay in a prostitute's house. 
That's a risk. Now, some people have speculated that maybe you know, a little more went on than the Bible suggests. But no there's, no, there's no evidence whatsoever that there was anything improper that took place. They behaved righteously, but, but, but they were still in a prostitute's house. That's risky. Why did they go there? Because, you see, in ancient times, uh, if you were traveling, the... The best thing to do, the least morally dubious thing to do, was to stay in the home of a relative or a friend on the road. This is why in the New Testament times the church is so encouraged to be hospitable. But hotels were often morally, at best morally suspect and often also sort of doubled as prostitutes' house, perhaps like Rahab's house. She was a prostitute. And to stay there as young men, we know there are young men from Joshua chapter 6, to stay there as young men, foreigners, no one would question their presence. They all knew, or they thought they knew why they were there. It was a clever ruse, but a risky one. Can you think of anyone else who took that risk? Who's a friend of sinners? Who hung out with tax collectors? Not meaning with the IRS. Meaning he hung out with um, collaborators with the occupying force, like, like with the Vichy regime in occupied France or something. He hung out with tax collectors, with friends, hung out with publicans, that is, people who ran bars. He, he, he hung out with prostitutes. Our great captain, Jesus. For he loves Sinners. And he's here for you. You may, you may yourself have been a prostitute. You may have seen prostitutes. If on a screen behind my head this morning was played all that you had seen, You may think to yourself, no one would allow me in this building. And yet Jesus is here for you. It's a risk, this risk of mission, but one that Jesus takes. And one that his followers are to take. To reach out to the broken the marginalized, the hurting. Now, it's a risk, the risk they took of mission. And of course, also the risk of their own lives. They're, they're going into occupied territory. They're going into Jericho. They, they're risking their lives. Our missionaries, College Church, that we commission on this platform and send all around the world are very often going at risk of their own physical danger. Let us not forget that.
And perhaps here in Wheaton, we're not risking our own physical danger. But to be on mission for Jesus does carry emotional risk, the risk of rejection if you tell someone about Jesus, spiritual opposition. If you really get committed to mission, if you really get committed to ministry, discipleship, you'll you'll get opposition. It is a risk, real mission. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, brothers, for those who teach will be judged more harshly. It's a risk. And yet our great captain, our great Joshua, our great Jesus calls us as God's people to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, for surely he'll be with us always the very end of the age, teaching us to obey, teaching them to obey everything he has taught us. He's calling us to that mission. And if you've taken the risk of faith, not disobedience, I plead with you to also take the risk of mission and ministry and discipleship And not hide behind those Jericho walls, keeping everyone at a distance. The risk of faith, Rahab, the risk of disobedience, the people of Jericho, the risk of mission, the spies. But there is is one other last element here in this text. And if you'd heard me preach on Joshua chapter 2 15 years ago... I probably wouldn't have brought it out very much at all. It it used to seem to me to be a little bit sentimental. I mean the scarlet cord. It's always struck me as a little bit sort of fake to say, oh, that's about Jesus and the cross. It's like, oh, come on. I mean, just because it's red... But you know, right down through church history, people have seen this scarlet cord as pointing to the cross. Uh, Clement of Rome, in his first letter to the Corinthians, written very soon after the New Testament, he believed this scarlet cord was the thread that ran throughout the Bible pointing to the cross. And the text itself as I've looked at it again and again, it emphasizes blood a lot. Uh, Verse 18, Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window. Okay. Verse 19, Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. You see, the exodus itself, as they've been rescued for Egypt, blood had been daubed on the frame of the Israelite doors. And here now in Canaanite territory, in pagan territory, there is one house 
that has that scarlet cord. The blood that washes even the foulest sins white as snow. Prostitutes, liars, thieves, hypocrites, arrogant people. Washed whiter than snow by that scarlet cord. If, if you take the risk of faith, our Lord God, we do bow before you this morning and pray that you would help us to trust you. We thank you for Rahab. We thank you for how the Bible's unembarrassed describe her sinful past, her prostitution, her lying. We thank you also, Lord, the Bible. Then, because she repented and believed, holds her up as an example of faith and even puts her in the genealogy of Jesus. Ruth married to Salmon, from Salmon can Obed, from Obed, Jesse, from Jesse, David. And from David, Lord, in your word, Matthew's gospel comes, comes Jesus. Lord, let us not think, let us not have the presumption to think that our sins can prevent your grace if we repent and believe. For even Rahab is in the genealogy of Jesus. So we thank you for your chesed, your covenant love and grace and mercy. We pray, Lord, that we would not take the risk of disobedience that seems so easy, so comfortable, so secure, so safe, hiding behind those Jericho walls. Lord, that we remember that our great captain, our great Joshua, our great Lord Jesus is returning. And no amount of psychological barrier, no amount of financial barrier no amount of emotional barrier no, no amount of moral barriers are sufficient if we reject Joshua if we reject Jesus help us not to be disobedient Lord but to trust you And we pray, Lord, also that we would be a people on mission. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the right words to reach out to um, people who are broken or hurting. We pray, Lord, you give us a heart, first of all, for the lost. Forgive us for the hardness of our hearts for the Canaanites around us. Uh, May we be like Paul, who says that not only the wrath of God compels him, but also Christ's love compels him. 
because of the shortness of this time that there will be a returning Jesus who will come and those walls will be destroyed and those who don't trust in, in you will be destroyed because of the wrath of God to come but also because of the love of Jesus. Oh Lord, give us a heart for the lost that we might be on mission even at risk of our lives. And so we pray that we in our day, in our generation, would prove once again your faithfulness. And that to risk faith on you is no risk at all. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.